Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus walked along the border of Samaria and Galilee. And when he entered the village, there were ten men with leprosy who met him. And from a distance, they called to him in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when Jesus saw them, he said, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Now one of the men, when he saw he was healed, came back. And with a loud voice, he was praising God. And he threw himself at the feet of Jesus and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus said to him, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the other nine? Was there not one found to return to praise God except this foreigner? And Jesus said to him, Rise and go. Your faith has made you well. I'll tell you what. Those are powerful readings. Thank you so much. The story is a straightforward one, and you've heard it most of your lives if you've been raised religiously at all, in Christian circles or even Jewish circles at all. There are, no doubt, many lepers in the time of Christ. We don't know if this story is one that is factual in the sense that the story is about ten lepers, one of whom was a Samaritan, who were healed, one of whom came back. We don't know if it's a story Jesus crafted to illustrate his point as he did so many times. But it is, whatever the the truth there is, it is a true story. And it's a story about gratitude. And it's an interesting one because in the culture of the day, there were multiple groups of outcasts in probably most any society. We usually think of the Jews as the exclusive ones who don't like the Samaritans, but frankly, the Samaritans didn't have a lot of use for the Jews either. And so there was this division that was being spoken of here. Then the next division was the clean and unclean factor. The next factor was based in a real fear. Because if you know what leprosy is, we don't really deal with it much in this country, if at all. In fact, I think uh, there aren't a lot of places where leprosy is a huge problem. But when it happens, it's an awful thing because what it does is it attacks the nervous system. We usually think of it as, as bleached skin or white skin, but that's really more of a psoriasis and is common. We get it from stress, sometimes along a hairline or a knuckle. I have a white knuckle that's probably psoriasis. Flares up when I, when I get stressed. Not contagious, not a problem just kind of raw and dry. Leprosy attacked the nervous system and left its victims unable to feel what was happening to their extremities. So, as you can imagine, terribly gross things ended up happening to their extremities and to their faces. Not only were they not allowed to participate with the rest of the camp of Israel or be in the city. They were completely isolated and outcast. 
But because they had no feeling, imagine if you could not feel when your finger got too close to the stove. Imagine when, if you could not feel when you reached for a pan or pot. Imagine how long it would take for burns to heal over time. Imagine that during the night, you wouldn't be able to feel anything crawling on your feet or toes. You wouldn't be able to feel as tissue was damaged and died, the rats gnaw your toe off. Now, I don't say that to shock you. I say that because that was the incredibly awful and grotesque reality that lepers lived with. They were a class of people that were dreaded and feared and understood to be cursed because nobody wanted to be in the camp of the lepers. And there was a historical spiritual reason as well. Recall that when Moses was leading God's people out of Egypt, there's the story of a complaint made about Moses. Now, God often treated complaints toward Moses as complaints towards himself. It was kind of interesting the way God responded uh, to those things in Exodus and in the story of, of this, this journey. But Miriam in particular complains about what? Do you remember? Moses' wife. And what was the complaint? She was dark-complected. She was a citizen of the desert. She was not a Jewess. She was not a Hebrew. And Miriam is judged by God, according to the story, and given what? Leprosy. I just... A little aside, for your information, whatever else you may read, God does not sanction prejudice or racism. It's not in his deck of cards. It's not something he tolerates. Miriam gets leprosy. And what does she have to do? Do you remember? She repents, doesn't she? Miriam repents. And, and a sacrifice is offered for her and she is healed. She's restored. She is, after all, Moses' sister. And Aaron is the priest of the community. Moses is in Miriam's brother. So the people who know the Old Testament, and this would be the people of Jewish times, and they knew it very well, it was their Bible, know that... Miriam, when she raised her voice against Moses, was cursed with leprosy and later healed of leprosy. And so anybody who has leprosy must be under what? A curse. They must have done something terrible to deserve this disease. And we don't have the same worldview coming at things from 21st century uh, Christendom. We don't have that same worldview. But this is playing in the backs of the minds of people living in Jesus' day. So two classes of, of uh, outcasts represented here who've come together 
because of leprosy. And whether Jesus has uh, put the story together for illustration's sake or whether it's factual, doesn't matter. It illustrates something really powerful. You see, these ten recognize in Jesus something special. Maybe they've heard of his healings. Maybe they know of his power. Maybe they just sense that this teacher, this rabbi, is someone special and they're hoping that a prayer will be offered, that something great will happen. Chances are good that in the process of relatives bringing food and leaving it and backing off so that they're not exposed to the disease, chances are very good that news had traveled that there was hope in Israel. And the story quite simply tells us that these ten lepers saw Jesus from a distance and called to him, have mercy on us. And you see them approach to a safe distance. And as Janice recited the narrative, Jesus instructs them to go to the priest and be declared clean. Now, the interesting thing about this part of the story is that faith doesn't seem to be the issue here. Nobody stops and says, well, that's all fine and well, but I'm not clean. Wouldn't that be your first response? Um, I'm sorry, I mean, am I missing something? If I ask you for something and... There's nothing said, nothing done, and you tell me to go to get myself declared clean. How on earth am I to be clean? But that doesn't seem to be the issue here. The very command that Jesus gives them to go to the priest and have themselves declared clean implies something very powerful. The agent of healing is released and these ten are healed. And they begin to move, and as they do, they look at themselves, and, and they are, in fact, well. And you see the excitement build, the joy build, and you see them uh, starting to regenerate and, and things to change, and they're moving on their way toward Jerusalem, toward the temple, to the priests. They want to be free of this, finally and at last. And it would be very easy for us to be critical of the nine, wouldn't it? I think we are. Why those ungrateful nine? But I'm telling you something. If you'd been living with this dread disease for a period of time and you started to come back and there was a chance you could get to the priest and be declared clean, okay, good to go home, how much time do you think you would waste getting there? No, wouldn't waste time getting there. And off they run. But one remembers that an incredible gift has just been given. This isn't just freedom from a disease. This is freedom from a curse. This isn't just freedom from leprosy. This is freedom from a slow and awful death. This isn't freedom from a skin disease. This is freedom from the inability to feel and function at some level and for the gross distortions that come to the human body in time with this ailment. This is a freedom from social stigmatism and isolation. This is a newfound freedom to rejoin 
and experience all of the privileges of normal family and societal life. This is way more than a simple healing. And one in the process takes note and turns around and goes back and casts himself at Jesus' feet and says, thank you. And the text records the parenthetical comment that he was a what? Samaritan. An outcast already. Jesus is making a point. Why is it that the outcast, the Samaritan, the non-Jew, why is it that this person is the one who is thankful and expresses it? Do you think really the others were not thankful? What do you think? Thankful? How many think they were thankful? How many think they probably weren't? Most of you think they were thankful. I think at some level they were. But it wasn't in their consciousness. It wasn't in their way to stop and remember and to give thanks at that moment. And they're running off. One comes back. Jesus does the same sort of thing two other times. In the story of the man who is beaten up on the road and those who pass by and the one who has mercy on his poor, sorry, Jewish heap of flesh there on the side of the flesh is a what? Samaritan. So, so far in Jesus' telling of these events or these stories, we have a Samaritan who is one who stops, despite all the religious ones who have passed before and the Jewish who have passed before. There is one who has mercy. There is one who will give, or at least agree to give him a drink of water. And there is one who will be grateful. And none of them are among God's chosen people. And I resemble this so very much sometimes in my own life. I've been grafted in. I am like you, one of the chosen ones. I am part of the family tree, the family of God. I am one who is a recipient of God's grace and God's blessings. Hope and healing are mine. But I wonder if I remember the thanks that needs to be given. And I know many times I don't. It isn't, if I think about it, that I'm not grateful. But a thanksgiving is a thanks remembered, isn't it? And I don't know where you find yourself in this continuum. If you turn to Exodus 15, you hear a particular song, the song of Miriam. It's a long one. 
And I don't know how she sang, but I know that she had on her finest and her finger cymbals, and she was doing her dancing and singing this song with the ladies of Israel. And it was a song of joy and a song of deliverance. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and his rider has he hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army as he hurled into the sea. The best of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deep waters have covered them. They sank to the depths like a stone. Verse 3, your right hand, O Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shattered the enemy in greatness of your majesty. You threw down those who oppressed you. You unleashed your burning anger. It consumed them like stubble by the blast of your nostrils. The waters piled up. The surging waters stood firm like a wall. The deep waters congealed into the heart of the sea. The enemy boasted, I will pursue, I will overtake them, I will divide the spoils, I will gorge myself on them. I will draw my sword and my hand will destroy them, but you blew with your breath and the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who among the gods is like you, O Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? You stretched out your hand and the earth swallowed them. In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. The nations will hear and tremble. Anguish will grip the people of Philistia. The chiefs of Edom will be terrified. The leaders of Moab will be seized with trembling. The people of Canaan will melt away. Terror and dread will fall upon them. By the power of your arm, they will be still as a stone. Until your people pass by, O Lord. Until the people you brought pass by. You will bring them in and plant them on the mountain of your inheritance. The place, O Lord, you made for your dwelling. The sanctuary, O Lord, your hands established. And the Lord will reign forever and ever. And Miriam sang, Sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and his rider has he hurled into the sea. A song of joy and a song of deliverance. A song of thanksgiving and a song of celebration. And I think there are songs like this in the New Testament as well. And the song in Revelation 4 goes, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And Revelation 5, worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And Revelation 7, Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. And the songs of praise 
go on and they culminate in 18 and 19 before the end of the book. The thanks that we give, the praise that we offer is not a peripheral part of our experience. It is a core response to the act of God. In the story of Jesus, it is an act of release. It is an act of healing. It is an act of setting free. It is an act of redemption. In the story of Exodus, it is an act in which a people are set free, their enemies drowned in the sea. It is the story of a people who are given a new land and a new lease, and their name is Israel. It is a song of celebration. It is a hymn of thanksgiving. In Revelation, it is the angels who praise and the elders surrounding the throne and the four beasts covered in eyes who sing their songs and the redeemed. And it is a story of freedom and a story of release and a story of the healing of the nations and a story of redemption. And as we enter the season of thanksgiving, it seems right that we ourselves take a minute to be the one who comes back. To be the one who casts ourselves at the feet of Jesus. To be the one who says, thank you. Because our experience is never complete without it. Until we dance with Miriam and sing. Until we cast our crowns at his feet and rejoice and humble ourselves and sing of his worthiness. Until we recognize the gifts that he gives us every day in his son Jesus Christ, we haven't fully experienced the freedom, the release, and the redemption that he so freely gives. Let us be his thankful people.